Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Pixels, a podcast for the discerning gamer. Hello everyone and welcome to Pixels, a video game show where we discuss the news mainly and try to go beyond the news to explain what they mean and how they work and why people do the things they do in this crazy industry of ours. And uh, today I have a couple of uh, wonderful journalists to join us. And we, as we were saying before we started the show, uh, I hate time zones and we're basically spanning all of them with this episode. <laughs> we have uh, Tom Merritt, from California, who is up at an ungodly hour to uh, join us. Thank you so well, much. It depends for on what church effort. you go to, I guess. Uh, <laughs> could be, you know, if you have early services, it could be very godly. Uh, Basically, yeah it's, yeah, it's early. It's early, but it's going to be here, man. At the church of 6.30 a.m., it is extremely <laughs> devout to be doing a yeah. show at this time. Thanks so much. Uh, I confess, I thought it was uh, <laughs> happening. We said we were re uh, recording now, and actually we said an hour uh, in an hour from now, but Tom very kindly rushed to his studio and is joining us. So thank you. That's why we need a universal clock. I think, you know. It's the same time everywhere. I think we should talk to Swatch about this. Uh, maybe we could call it the internet time. There's, yeah. there's an idea there. But seriously, there is an idea there. It's kind of like, uh, uh, let me introduce Tim as well, uh, who's joining us from Japan, actually. You're in Japan for SeaTech. On the other side of the globe. Yes, indeed, I am. Isn't this wonderful? I mean, I think we take it for granted sometimes. We're just having a conversation together, recording it for people to listen. And we're literally as far as possible from one another. I think it's amazing. I think it is. And the sun never sets on your podcast now. So how about that? <laughs> that could be a title for the episode. Uh, the sun never sets on pixels. And it's so poetic too. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Steve. Thank you, Tim. I'm going to write it down. Um, Friends call him Steve because it's blessing. <laughs> I get called that a lot. I've been called Steve Timmons, as a matter of fact, which I think was a baseball player. But uh, that's, that's totally getting her home. Ooh, another potential title for the show, Steve Timmons. Um, but yeah, what was I saying that I hate time zones? It's horrible. And I only do that every, uh, you know, every day, a million times a day. And for some reason today, it didn't register. Um, but yeah, anyway, we are here. We're going to do a show. We're going to be talking about the Oculus Connect uh, that happened uh, 10 days ago or so with... Uh, 
you know, it, it's a thing where there is no information. So that does give us information. Actually, that's not true. There is some <laughs> amount of information. Uh, we're going to talk about Amazon um, going head to head with uh, YouTube with their recent Twitch acquisition. Uh, a little, a few more things with uh, the future or non-future of the PlayStation Vita. Uh, the uh, GameStop CEO, I can't remember his name right now, but he's going crazy and say crazy things. Well, maybe not going crazy, just saying crazy things uh, and a bunch of other things. But let's start with Oculus Connect 2. Oculus Connect is the uh, yearly conference of the Oculus company. It's the second one. And I think we were all hoping for a little bit more information that came out uh, at that show. At the show proper, basically, there was no price and no date for the device. They're still aiming for Q1. To be completely honest, I wouldn't be surprised if it was the end of Q1 and maybe even if they slipped into Q2. Uh, an important piece of information is that the touch uh, controller is not going to be available at, with the device itself. So we're going to have to wait for Q2 um, for the device. And after the conference, he mentioned that the price of the Oculus Rift was going to be above $350, basically above the price that um, uh, people are, are I think it's the uh, SDK that's um, roughly at that price now. It's going to be more, avail more expensive when it uh, ships, says Lucky, uh, Palmer Lucky, and people are whispering about a potential um, $400 plus uh, price tag for the Oculus Rift. And that's without the touch controllers. Um, get uh, uh, Also, they uh, got a few um, bits of information about the partnerships they're having with PC manufacturers, namely Alienware, Dell, and Asus, uh, that are going to offer Oculus-ready PCs that are, they have a bunch of specs, basically 8 gigs of RAM minimum, i5 processor, um, GTX 970 or AMD Radeon 290. And those are going to be $1,000 minimum. So this whole affair is getting pretty pricey, uh, in my opinion. Who is going to be buying these things? That's a... Oh, enthusiasts. Yeah. I mean, enthusiasts <laughs> with, uh, with disposable income, for sure. Like the person who would buy a high-end desktop gaming machine is is probably the likely target. And I'm not saying every one of them will buy one, but that that even seems to be what they're saying is like, hey, we're going to bundle this in with a new high-end gaming machine for you. So that definitely confirms. I mean, I've been talking about this for a few months now, maybe even a year uh, since the beginning of the show. I think the 2016 is not the year of the or virtual reality. I think 2016 is going to be the year when we try and figure out whether or not this thing works and whether or not there is an actual use for it beyond the, the dream and the fantasy. Um, would that be a fair assessment? I mean, not everyone should brush and, and go buy one um, in the coming year. Um, I don't know, Tim. Do you think it's? Are you going to get one? For example, uh, I very much am going to get one. So um, you know, there's there's at least one sale in the books. But um, <laughs> you know, 
contrasting the very expensive Oculus full-on hardware, and I'm presuming that the controllers are going to be quite expensive as well. Um, there was also, of course, the new Samsung VR, uh, Gear VR, which is only $99. Now, I think when we're looking at hardcore first-person shooters and that kind of thing, you know, absolutely that's going to be a very early adopter crowd for probably at least the next two years, if not more. Um, but when it comes to the consumption of VR content in, in, in interesting ways, um, that $99 headset could change things quite a bit. Um, you know, cardboard, of course, has helped things a long way, but the cardboard experience is, is not really high-end by any means. Uh, if you can get some decent experiences within Android on Android devices with uh, the Gear VR, that could definitely open the doors. Uh, you know, again, I think lightweight gaming is a pretty easy target there, but more for content consumption, the, the new Netflix apps that we saw, uh, Hulu and that kind of thing, uh, they look really compelling. Uh, I actually was surprised at how good the old Oculus Cinema was, and I'm looking forward to trying out the new um, Netflix apps and everything else, too. Uh, I'm curious to see what that does for VR as a market beyond just the gaming a- application. Uh, that, to me, is pretty exciting. So the Gear VR is going to be available for owners of the... Well, anyone can buy it, but obviously you're going to be able to use it only with the Samsung If you want a phones, screen, right? yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can have the device without the screen, screen. So you put the, the phone in the thing. Uh, without it, it's, it's a shell. Um, so it's only for Samsung owners. So that, that's a pretty limited subset of you know the market. It's not like people are going to go out and buy the Gear VR with a Samsung phone, if you want to do that, then maybe you're better off buying the Oculus Rift, the, the, the entire thing. I think it is a bit of a shame that this is coming now when Samsung is, is definitely on the decline. You know, certainly people aren't as excited about the, the uh, Galaxy S6, for example, as they were about the 5 or those before. That is a bit of a bummer. Um, but ultimately, I think this does open the door for um, content producers to have more and more users than they would otherwise. Uh, and that... I think will drive more people to create content online video producers. We're certainly looking into VR uh, content creation at CNET. Um, And, you know, things like that will definitely make it, uh, uh, will give us more incentive to do so. Uh, And that's what's going to, I think, drive VR in the very short term, uh, much more so than Oculus VR. You know, I don't think that people are going to be able to sell many games to, you know, a $1,500 gaming system that requires a $500 headset plus another two or $300 in, in, in gaming controllers. You're talking about a very, very limited market for the next couple of years. Um, so I think that, um, you know, in terms of, of long-term market success, is going to be things more like uh, the Gear VR that will drive the market much more so than Oculus, at least for the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's an accessory. And Samsung Galaxy and Samsung Notes uh, have sold in large numbers. Uh, even if this new Gear VR will only work with those sold in 2015, they, they sold a lot of 2015 models. So it's the kind of accessory that can be very successful. But then when you shift away from looking at it from, hey, will people use it? Yes, people will use it too. Will this be the next thing that drives VR forward? You're absolutely right, Patrick. It's not like someone who doesn't already have uh, a Galaxy or Note phone is likely to go buy one just for this. They, it might have influenced their decision if they're in the Android universe or thinking of switching to the Android universe. But it's 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 an outlier. It's an early uh, early stage development symptom, if you will, of the fact that we really haven't, as you said, figured out what VR is best for yet. Yeah, what what I mean, I kind of disagree with you, Tim, when you're saying that it's going to it could potentially drive VR. Um, the the takeaway I take from these extravagant prices is more like 
Well, the PlayStation VR uh, headset, which might be a little bit expensive as well, is looking a lot more attractive now because it's the the entire package is going to be a little bit less expensive. Um, I think this is it, people looking for VR experiences might go to the PlayStation rather than a, a full blown PC and Oculus Rift now. Although even the PlayStation VR isn't really out yet by any means uh, either. Um, so I don't know how much of an influencer, maybe, maybe the Oculus, uh, I'm sorry, the Gear VR is going to be a nice thing to showcase the, the technology. And that is going to get people interested in that sense, maybe. Um, I'm not sure though it's going to be that influential. Um, but one thing that's, that was interesting in the, oh, by the way, the, um, some people, including myself, were hoping that, uh, Oculus and Microsoft were going to get pretty cozy. And that might mean that the Oculus would, uh, run on the Xbox One. And they've basically denied that. They've said that they've had early talks, but it's not going to happen for years if it does happen at all. So, um, the, the end, the HoloLens is also not uh, very close. So it's looking like uh, the if you want some VR experience, and maybe you don't, um, but if you want some VR experience and you want an easy package, I'm thinking the PlayStation VR is going to be the easiest um, entry point into that, unless you have a Samsung phone, obviously. Um, but one thing you mentioned, Tim, I'm really curious about. It's the it was made pretty clear that Oculus is looking at things beyond games, and maybe that's outside the scope of this uh, show. But I'm I'm still curious to know how attractive it would be to to have those virtual theater experiences with VR. Uh, wouldn't I just rather look at my giant tv that i have in my den what's attractive to you in the virtual theaters tim <laughs> well for me as a traveler uh i don't always have a, a large tv in my den in fact i'm sitting in an incredibly small uh, hotel room in tokyo right <laughs> well, now you're you in japan imagine. yeah so, <laughs> right so uh right now the ability to uh, strap my phone to my face and have but these actually sounds somewhat compelling you know on all the issues of battery consumption heat and, and all that good stuff um but I, I don't know if you've ever actually tried the Oculus Cinema. Uh, I thought it was the most stupid thing ever until I actually tried it and watched a couple of short videos. And I was I was surprised at, at how it actually does change your perception of watching simple videos online. Um, you know, it, it's not the most comfortable thing to do for hours at a time. Um, but ultimately, if you're looking to get away from wherever you are for a short period of time, if you're in a cramped seat on a flight or if you're indeed in a very small hotel room, uh, it actually does change things quite a bit. And I think, you know, we're talking about low-cost um, solutions for VR uh, and ultimately mass market penetration for VR. That is much more compelling than, than uh, really, you know, uh, engaging high-intensity um, 3D shooter that kind of thing. Which I am, you know, incredibly excited about that and flight sims and all that good stuff. Uh, when I'm talking about my mom getting onto VR or you know my sister getting onto VR, people who aren't necessarily gamers, um, that I think is, is going to be a, uh, a compelling option. Not just video streaming, of course. There are plenty of more things that Facebook, of course, wants to do, which is why Facebook bought Oculus in the first place. Um, but ultimately, I think that that is that it is and will be a compelling experience going forward. So, so basically, I have not tried the uh, cinema thing virtual cinema thing and you're right it does sound very silly when you first hear of it but to be fair you know strapping that kind of device to your head looks you know sounds silly as well but so what's the effect is it just the fact that you feel like you're somewhere else is that the the benefit of uh, of the virtual theater 
it, it's very strange that the first one that I watched is like this virtual moonscape effectively. So you feel like you're sitting on the moon watching a movie and um, you know, it, it's just, it's very strange how the ability to turn your head and to have this massive screen in front of you, but to be able to kind of look around behind you, um, it really does, uh, it, it pulls all the distraction away, much like going to the theater does. You know, if you're sitting in your living room, and you're watching something, um, chances are your phone is within reach, you're going to get a text message, you're going to get an SMS, you're going to check that out. Uh, you're tuning out from the experience, and therefore that's distracting you from whatever's going on. Um, but if you go to the movie theater, of course, you're not allowed to use your phone, and there may be people around you who are distracting, but ultimately you're in a much more engaging experience. Um, and VR is like taking the next step. Even though it's a, a 2D image or perhaps a 3D image that's flat um, projected in front of you, you are effectively pulled out of whatever situation that you're in, which which allows you to get much more involved and much more engaged in whatever cinematic experience it is, even if it's non-interactive, even if it isn't full VR. Uh, it's still creates a much more engaging experience. So you're you're talking about the the ones where you actually are sitting inside a theater or are you talking about the ones where you're immersed into that environment? I'm talking about simply sitting within a virtual theater watching something that's okay. either 3D or flat 2D. Which so is that basically is what, also uh, okay. about with Netflix streaming and that kind of thing. Hmm. That's yeah, that's interesting. I guess I would like to to give it a try. I think another thing that could be interesting would be the fact that you might be joined by other people in that virtual theater. Maybe not, you know, strangers. Although, you know, why not? It could be a, a fun uh, experience to meet quote unquote people like that. But even with your friends, you know, we, as long we, as it's opt in. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one thing that we did see from Connect on uh, on the Twitch streaming side of things, and that could definitely change the game for for online professional gaming streaming you know there's a lot of engaging discussion that goes on on twitch already um to to bring that to the next step to actually have virtual avatars watching games that i think is again a very compelling uh idea and especially if you can then take the next step of getting beyond watching a flat 2d stream but actually getting into the game and being a virtual spectator within the game uh that will be very very cool and in the case of twitch that would definitely have to be opted for sure yes Um, absolutely (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess we're we're still. That's part of the entire thing: discovering what these things are good for. Maybe there's going to be some kind of a reason for you know podcasters to do things in a virtual space together, sure. and uh, that could be. And, and I'm sure that in the beginning, in that first year, maybe first two years, there's tons of things that we're going to be doing because we can, and that turned out to be completely silly and not hold uh, the test of time. Um, But ultimately, I think there are going to be some interesting things uh, found out. Uh, There are also, before we move on, uh, yeah, for the the non-gaming content, there were uh, partnerships announced with Netflix, uh, Hulu, Twitch, Vimeo, Lionsgate, and 20th Century Fox. Um, So there is going to be stuff. Definitely, they're going for it for more than just games. But there were a couple of games I noted. Uh, The first one is, well, Minecraft. Um, Minecraft Windows 10 Edition is going to be a launch title uh, for Oculus Rift in 2016. Or maybe not a launch title, but it will be available in 2016. That is, you know, Minecraft is such a phenomenon. I think that might be a pretty interesting appeal product um, to get people curious about VR. And I don't know how well it would work in VR, but it's all about building worlds and and being immersed in that thing that you're modeling. So I could see it be at least interesting. Um, Uh, Yeah, I think one of the... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Tom. Go ahead, Tom. Uh, One of the things that I, I feel like VR 
seems to be good for is any kind of open world. And so I've been interested to see what kind of MMOs, what what kind of open world uh, games are going to make use of it and how well they'll turn out. And having Minecraft there is pretty much, that's that's the obvious one. That's the biggest, most popular open world out there right now. Uh, and putting it in, in VR says, okay, let's see what we can do with it and whether people will take advantage of it and what things will they do with it? Because I think that's the most interesting part of Minecraft is how it has allowed the community to determine what Minecraft is good for. It's not, you know, a game with one set goal that everybody is after. You don't bring down the big boss at the end. And so VR just sort of adds another element to that. And it may be that because like all of these early technologies, the thing that we thought was going to be the big thing ends up not to be such a big thing because it doesn't add much to it. Or yeah. it may add a whole lot that we didn't realize until people got in there and started moving blocks around. Sure. Yeah, I totally agree. It could really change the experience for Minecraft. Uh, what I was going to say before is that Carmack actually said that it really did change the way that he played the game. And he felt like he was forming memories in new ways when he was walking through Minecraft uh. levels, much more like you were wandering around an actual place versus, you know, engaging in a game. He said that he, the way that he remembered his way around these places was significantly different uh, than how he typically would remember his way through a game. And I think that that's, you know, kind of just a hint of the sorts of, of, of changes of perception, changes of experience that we can expect to see as, as VR becomes more commonplace. And I am, you know, hugely excited about all of that. Yeah, I, I, it's funny what you're saying, Tim, reminds me of, I think, an experience that most people playing World of Warcraft have had. Uh, I'm saying World of Warcraft, it could be any MMO, but uh, this one in particular, because so many people were involved in it, um, mm -hmm. where you get, at some point, you, you're talking with friends about something that you were doing in the game, and maybe it's in the city, and you're saying, oh, well, you know, I went to the shop that's, you know, by that uh, that place in the center of the city, and you go left, and then you turn right, and you have the little dwarf selling the things there, and then you find the shop. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, I know that. And at some point, you realize, holy crap, we're all talking about this thing that doesn't exist right this 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 construct this virtual construct that doesn't exist and we all know it as if it was a real place and i can only imagine that this uh technology is going to make all of it even more real um so yeah i'm so excited about the possibilities one last thing I want to talk about before we move on to Twitch is um, Bullet Train, which is uh, the the showcase game from Epic, which is the first time I've been excited about a really core gamers game in virtual reality. Basically, it's a first-person shooter, but the genius thing that they've done is that they've simply decoupled the head uh, movement from the hands. And when you use the um, touch controllers... It, it situates your uh, hands in 3D space, so they are uh, modelized in the virtual world, and you can see them in front of your eyes. And when you move your head, uh, obviously that doesn't move your hands as it would in a regular uh, first-person shooter on a flat screen. Um, so you can move your hands, you can control both of them, and if you have two guns, for example, you shoot them individually in different directions, and you move your head independently of all of this. And for some reason, that just seemed like it 
just worked. And it made me very excited to at least try it out and see what happens when you're in that space in that manner. Um, we don't know how you're gonna, they're gonna tackle movement, if it's gonna be on rails, if it's gonna be, you know, uh, uh, just per, uh, the, the player is gonna be in one place, but that decoupling of the hands and the head is so obvious, but it seems like it really works well. Yeah, the demos that I saw looked really, really good as well. And it, it seems like they're definitely restricting movement heavily, which is one of the bigger issues that gamer or game developers are still working with is how do you how do you deliver movement without making the user feel disoriented or, or nauseous because you know, moving via D pad doesn't work and of course you can't get up and walk around your, your living room or whatever without tripping into something. So it seems like you'll be snapping from place to place to place and having these really intense, incredible shootouts at th these places. And, uh, you know, that I think is going to be somewhat restrictive, um, but ultimately the game itself looks really compelling. And it reminds me of the early days of 3D gaming where there were all these kind of turret-based games where you're just kind of shooting at random things without moving very much. And it didn't take us long to progress from that to more engaging 3D shooters. And I hope that that uh, is the case in VR too. But yeah, the game looked, looked fantastic. It is interesting that as we add the element that your hand movements and your head movements can be mimicked, uh, we run into, again, the problem of you're not actually moving. And then we conquered that yeah. with video games, right? We sit on a couch and we don't move we, when, we're, when we're actually running through a first-person shooter. Uh, but because we can do these other things now, they're like, oh, but we want to move. And yeah, we don't true. necessarily want to be trapped in a big <laughs> treadmill. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it, it, I don't think that's a problem. I think we'll be able to say, okay, we are going to break the immersion at this point you're going to move forward without your body actually moving in real life and we'll get used to it and for those who remember the early times of 3d one of the most complex issues that we well as an industry and game developers in particular had to discover how to solve was the camera placement and how to work that now it seems very obvious uh and camera placement is usually you know not even an issue anymore you don't really think about it but in early days in the days of the you know first voodoo graphic cards and and playstation when 3d was becoming common um you would have like camera placement was one of the items reviewed on game reviews it was like does the camera placement work does it get stuck in places that make the game unplayable and all of this and that's the kind of thing you don't necessarily think about but uh, going from a an actually flat uh, you know unmovable camera which was on 2d side scrollers and things like that to a world where you have to look at things uh, that was a for i would say for maybe even 10 years a serious issue in gaming so yeah absolutely and, and it was such a problem that nintendo had to put dedicated camera buttons on the n64 controller of course which then morphed into other things but uh you know camera control was so bad on the early 3d adventure games that um that you needed to have dedicated controls for it but we did see some third-party action adventure games at oculus connect 2 i'm drawing a blank on their names at the moment but um i think that could be a pretty compelling experience too when you have like an uh you know a god's eye perspective of the world below and you've got 3d characters running around uh, that could be a pretty fun experience too i think that, yeah, I don't I don't yeah. think we think about it as much because we think everything needs to be our immersed view, but having that god's eye view I, I'm pretty excited about. It. Of course I'm a, I'm a strategy adventure fan myself anyway. Yeah, it, it's yeah. going to be super yeah. weird if you can look at yourself and it playing in that game from a god's like view and I don't know. I think you know if you're moving and you're I, I don't know. It's it's like I'm freaking out now. Um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a real-time was... camera view of yourself with the helmet on inside the game running around ah! below you. I think um, we're all ready to put our credit cards 
Yeah, <laughs> need, to, need to know where to place the order. Okay. Uh, you were mentioning Nintendo, uh, one of the games that um, uh, made that that jump and and made game design progress in that field was uh, Super Mario 64. Uh, famously yeah. solved some of these issues, and one of the most intelligent things they did was create that character, uh, the little I can't remember the guy on the cloud holding the I camera. Like to. I think it was. Uh, I'm sorry. Like to, I think it is. Yes, is exactly. Name? Like to, um, and and they show him to you with the camera, and they and then you get into kind of the camera, so you know that this is the camera that he's anyway. Super clever game design as always for Nintendo. Uh, all right, let's move on to Amazon and Twitch uh, that basically announced that in 2016 you're going to be able to have well playlists that we don't really care about, I don't think. But more importantly, you're going to be able to upload pre-produced videos to Twitch, which is something that Twitch has traditionally stayed away from. They allowed for a while uh, for the archival of your streams. Um, unlimited archival basically was what it was. Then they shied away from it, probably because of uh, server capacity problems. And then Amazon bought them. And uh, they are now getting back a little bit to there with the possibility of uploading basically what has been the um, uh, the main uh, attraction of YouTube. Well, the only really um, strong point of YouTube, just regular videos that you upload after having produced them. Um, And at the same time, it's interesting because YouTube is uh, is very famously uh, attacking the gaming and streaming market with YouTube Gaming uh, that came out just a couple of months ago. Um, so, what should we take away from this? What is this? What does this indicate? Except, uh, is it just like gaming is popular? Cool, Tom. Yes, gaming is popular for sure. Uh, <laughs> Next topic. I, I, no, I think it's a, it, it's a response to YouTube gaming, first of all, because the big advantage YouTube gaming has over Twitch is archival, is the ability to, to store, right? Uh, in fact, most Twitch streamers store their archival video over YouTube. So what is Twitch's big advantage? Well, their big advantage is they've got all the streamers. So doing something that they think they can accomplish fairly easily to keep those streamers happy and keep them on the platform is smart. I don't know that it will lead to a, you know, glorious renaissance of pre-produced gaming footage on Twitch, but anybody who was thinking, oh, I really like Twitch, but now that YouTube has streaming, maybe I can go over there because it's all in one place, won't have to say that because they can get it all in one place at Twitch now. Is, Has Twitch said that they're specifically only allowing gaming footage, or will you be able to upload anything that you want to to Twitch? Gaming-related content. So I don't think you can you know, do your talk show about cooking, but if you're if you're doing a, a video game talk show, just like you can stream it on Twitch, uh, you can upload it as well. Yeah, it's basically gaming-related only. They're pushing that niche. Uh, although maybe, you know, there are a few segments that are incredibly popular on YouTube. And I don't think Amazon is, is quite ready to go chase them quite yet. But I could see in a few years, uh, you know, there are basically the super easy-to-produce pieces of content that are extremely popular on YouTube because they they are plentiful uh it's video games because you just fire it up and talk over it and people are watching it and you can produce hours upon hours of it um and the other thing is uh beauty 
videos. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Amazon at some point uh, did end up making that um, uh, that category. Maybe not Twitch, but a, a, a competitor to Twitch and not to Twitch, but to YouTube in those other areas. So make a, a combination of the words beauty and Twitch. It sounds dangerous, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean uh, Twoody? I think that's fine. Oh. oh, never mind. You're right. It works great. <laughs> um, yeah. So well, and, and that, that's the advantage YouTube has in the in the wider world is we you can do whatever you want. We're not going to tell you like, oh, there's not enough gaming content in there. So I think you're right. I think it's interesting to see if Amazon comes up with something. I think it might be a more general purpose platform than content specific, but I might be wrong about that. You know, I, I do think uh, YouTube does need the competition. The- Sorry, Tim, go ahead. I'm wondering if they're ready for the inevitable deluge of, of licensed content that they're going to need to for systems and all the legal ramifications that will, will come afterward. There are times that I thought YouTube was was dead because there was so much content that was being uploaded and there was no way they could possibly protect everything. Um, but yet they survived all that. And, and you know, that's a right. And, and Amazon will need to craft. Uh, you're, you're breaking up quite a bit, Tim, here. Um, it's uh, uh, the YouTube mafia doesn't want him to. <laughs> talk about. Damn it, um, Google! Damn it! Oh, it seems like it's back. Um, but yeah, I mean that is going to be interesting for sure. Uh, the the YouTube uh, digital, basically the DMCA protecting uh, right holders on YouTube is very strongly enforced uh, by the automated system. I I would be very curious to see how much uh, of that translates to Amazon system. You're right. Because basically, if you put up anything that is recognized as someone else, uh, someone else's property, intellectual property on YouTube, you get flagged and they decide what they can do with your video. Um, I don't think that would jive really well with the Twitch crowd. But, well, um, and that's the argument against YouTube gaming, right? And I, I should disclose that my wife works for YouTube. She doesn't work in the gaming side of things. But uh, the the knock on YouTube and, and gaming altogether has been how leaning towards content owners they have been. Nintendo being the most egregious example where uh, people will put up gameplay videos and, and Nintendo will take them down in the past. Now, Nintendo has softened up on that. Now they just take your money instead and say, if you're trying to monetize it, we're going to take all the money. And there's even a program you can get into to share that. But it's not like Twitch where it has been perceived as wide open, wild west. Music was the one thing that Twitch has cracked down on uh, and people thought it was going to be a lot worse than it was. But one of the passes Twitch gets is is the content is ephemeral. It's not archived. Exactly. Uh, When when they got rid of the archiving, they basically shoved all that liability over on YouTube because that's where the videos got archived. uh, And they'll have to come up with a policy for that to be able to make this work. But apparently they have. Yeah, it will be interesting to see. Um, I mean, there there are numerous examples where you can listen to any piece of music on Twitch, for example, because they do uh, pay the the rights related to that, which are different from uh, for live and for re pre recorded music. Um, so they take care of that, and um, for it's very different from for pre recorded. And they said. We we're not going to take care of that part because it's still possible to archive play sessions on on Twitch. And so sometimes when you archive uh, stuff from Twitch to YouTube, you will get flagged on YouTube and get your whole video, you know, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. flagged and removed and removed or, or, or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. 
have your account restricted for the next 12 months too, which is never fun. Basically. <laughs> um, and the Twitch uh, app is finally coming to PlayStation, uh, PlayStation 4, PlayStation Vita, and PlayStation 3. So I think all is right with the world. And uh, we. it seems like Twitch is positioning itself to definitely compete with YouTube. And uh, yeah, I think that's good. YouTube does need the competition. Uh, talking about the PlayStation Vita, Shua Yoshida has basically said that it was very unlikely that the PlayStation Vita would see a successor, um, given the uh, current conditions of the mobile gaming uh, market. And I think he loves the dedicated core consoles, and I really like my PlayStation Vita as well. Uh, but especially in Japan, it's... I mean... Mobile gaming is popular everywhere, but you have to remember, I was talking about the Tokyo Game Show um, on my French gaming podcast last week with a friend of mine who's very familiar with the conditions in Japan, and she mentioned something that is very obvious, which is in Japan, people spend a lot of time in subways and in public transportation. And that might explain why mobile gaming is so much more popular um, in Japan than it is in uh, the Western countries. I mean, mobile portable consoles have always been popular, but now that you ha everyone has a phone in their pocket and they have, you know, some time to spare when they're in public transportation, gaming is an obvious uh, choice. So that explains a little bit of the popularity of mobile gaming um, and and why it's become so difficult for those uh, manufacturers to put money and efforts behind their systems. I mean, the PlayStation Vita is still here and the 3DS is still here, of course. Uh, but when you look at the booths at the Tokyo Game Show, the, the biggest ones were the... Uh, you know, mobile gaming booths. Well, the biggest one, there was one, I can't remember the name of the game now, but it's a game from 2013, which is all of the things you can imagine for a free-to-play mobile game. Uh, and it was enormous. It was ridiculous. There was like a giant ship hanging from the air. Uh, there were, you know, all of those show things that you don't really associate with um, mobile gaming. Uh, Although I guess, you know, they've sort of sort of invaded the advertisement space already. So why not do that on the show booth, on the booth uh, uh, for the consumer shows as well? Um, so, Tim, are you there? Yes, I think he's back. Uh, Tim, you are in Japan. Hello. Yeah, so I'm in Japan. Now. <laughs> All right. I'm well, today. looks like he's still trying to connect. Yeah, he's... Uh, which is sad because this is the Japan story, right? And he's in Japan. Exactly. Oh, I should have talked about the Japan story immediately. Um, all right. Well, anyway, so the PlayStation Vita is probably not going to see a, um, a PlayStation Vita 2 or a new model or anything like that, which is kind of too bad. Uh, I wish there were a, a space for dedicated mobile gaming. But I guess for most people, there really isn't. I mean, Tom, you're, you're a gamer. I would qualify you as a gamer. But would you buy a, a 3DS or a PlayStation Vita? Or would you say, ah, I have my phone? Funny you should ask. Uh, my, <laughs> uh, the, the present that I bought for my wife this summer was a 3DS. Uh, but the reason was game titles. If that game title had been available you know, on, on a platform that she already had, like a phone or a tablet, 
I don't know whether I would have done that, but you know, she's a big, I don't mean to out her. I don't think this is a bad thing. She's a big animal crossing fan. Uh, and so <laughs> I bought a 3ds and the thing, you know, once she got it and she started playing it, uh, there were two observations I had about it. One was the fact that you really do get a better gaming experience because you have physical controls and you have a device that is designed just for the gaming, not for making calls or watching videos or anything else. Uh, and then at the same time, uh, that you have to go pick that up. That's a second device you have to carry around. And if you want to have that gaming experience, you have to give up some convenience, right? It's not all in one device. That's what we're getting by, used to with smartphones is everything I need is in here. It's my Twitter device. It's my GPS. It's my phone. All of that together. So I, I feel like the PS Vita is a little bit of the canary in the coal mine saying that the advantages of the mobile gaming device are losing out to the convenience of having everything in one device. I really hope that we can find a way to... You know, there was an ad in Japan again um, for a, a role-playing game that was basically saying, let's take back gaming from the mobile uh, devices. Um, and that was heartwarming to me because I think there are still people who do want to have games be like something that is thought of and thought for people who like games. Um, but Tim, you seem to be back. Um, I was, are you back? Uh, I am back. For the Excellent. Moment, yes. um, so I was asking, is it actually the case that you see that everyone has their phone and everyone is playing on their phones in the subway and in, in trains in Japan? Yes, it's interesting. I've actually been lucky enough to go to Japan every year for the past years or so as a judge. Uh, and so I've been watching this interesting uh, shift. We, we missed uh, the number of years. You said you were judging CTEC, but how many years have about, you been? About five years now okay. in a row I've been coming to CTEC. Am I sounding okay at the moment? You're breaking up a little bit, but keep going. I think it it's getting better. Okay, so I've seen the shift. Shift. I've been traditionally playing the DS, ESP, and that sort of thing in trains. And certainly, there were a lot of people playing those systems two or three years ago. Um, but now, there's definitely uh, a lot of people who are playing on mobile devices, much more so than in the past. And the gaming advertising that I see is much more focused on mobile devices than I've seen in the past. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, there were uh, the new when the new um, 3D Mario Brothers came out, for example, that was all over the place. Uh, but now uh, the new um, Mario Creator game came out, and there are ads for that, but not nearly as many as we see for Puzzle and Dragons, for example. Uh, I've seen a lot more games for that and for a lot of other various mobile games, uh, much more so than Nintendo games or Sony games or that kind of thing. Uh, and now you go on a train, you see people playing on their iPhones much more so than before. And even the iPhone was a rarity just a couple of years ago, but that very quickly swept across the market, and uh, it's been impressive to see. I'm, I think, you know, if we could get phones with some kind of retractable uh, joypad, joystick, or, you know, buttons, maybe then it could work. It's just the freaking screen, you know? Anyway. Um, well, yeah, when you're pushing at the thing that you're pushing, right? If that makes any sense. Yes. Whereas when I have a physical controller, I'm pushing the stick, and then the thing on the screen moves. When I'm pushing the screen, I'm pushing the screen that the thing is moving on, and there's there's some... <laughs> Uh, there, there's, you're getting in the way of seeing all of the things that you need to see to make the stuff happen. Yeah, I, I have a huge presence for, or pre preference for hardware portable gaming. I, I brought my, my my new 3ds and my PS Vita with me for this flight, and you know it's a 
far preferable gaming experience for me for a variety of reasons. Uh, I just don't tend to like the mobile gaming experience. I don't like the freemium thing that most mobile games go for. Uh, I'm definitely a huge fan of, of both the 3DS and the Vita, and it's pretty sad for me to see that maybe these this is the last generation of proper mobile gaming uh, devices. Ah, don't say We're that, getting Tim. old. Um, I know. But, <laughs> it's old and crotchety. But you're right, Tom. It's, it's, uh, it's really about the titles, and I think there might have been a little bit of a uh, def- deficit in titles, especially on the Vita. Uh, I, that's pretty obvious, but it's because there aren't many of those in the wild, so yeah, the market isn't big enough for people to develop lots of games, but it's definitely a titles battle. Um, so I think at some point it's going to swing back. I really think that I really have to hope that at some point uh, the gamers are going to want a portable experience. And I have to wonder whether or not this is uh, Nintendo's bet um, with the NX. There's been a lot of talks about the uh, potential... Uh, you know, dual use of portable and home consoles, some kind of hybrid device. Um, Maybe they're thinking we have to do something. There is a space, there is a spot in the mobile, in the portable um, gaming market and for, for real gamers, quote unquote. Um, And, and someone can take it and that's going to be us because it's going to be a device that can do both. I don't know how that would work, but I really hope they succeed because I want that, portable core gamer um i wanted to but i think that ship has sailed i think what we'll see is more and more major gaming publishers shifting over to mobile devices and and we'll see finally someone will crack the nut of how to give good tactile physical controls on a mobile device without having to carry around uh, some cheap crappy third-party controller that connects over bluetooth and has battery life of about 34 minutes um (laughs) you know i think we'll get there um but uh, it's going to be a bit of a painful transition for for those of us who are older and somewhat more crotchety and who want our tactile controls and our final fantasy remakes for the 10th time (laughs) i mean it's it's the same problem that phone makers are running into with the virtual keyboard right lots of people still want a physical keyboard and nobody has quite cracked how to bridge that gap yet i think for for keyboards it's a lot (laughs) it's a lot more cracked than it is for gaming controls. It's kind of the, the, the keyboard, the virtual keyboard has become by and large acceptable in most used cases. Um, for controls, there is no good solution at this point. I mean, you have. I guess the, what I'm saying is there's still a lot of people who would disagree with you and say the virtual keyboard is rotten and they want a physical keyboard, and there's no good solution for those people. I agree with you. There's probably way more people who agree with you about physical controls on a game. That's for sure. Right, right. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the yeah. Well, anyway, that's a, a, a longer conversation, but I would say the physical keyboard devices haven't sold at all. Um, I know maybe that's the difference. Maybe that's why it's not cracked. Yeah. Maybe. Wait for this Uh, new Blackberry man that's going to change that company and turn it right around. Maybe. Maybe. Well, if they hadn't sued Ryan Seacrest, he would have solved it for all of us too. (laughs) (laughs) I would be, I would be very curious to see how well a physical controls phone would sell. But then you have the thing sticking out of your phone and 90% of the time you're not using it. And then there's a battery issue. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Sony tried it and it was a total flop. Yeah, there was. I forget the name of the Sony phone from uh, about four years ago. I guess it was. Yeah, yeah, but back go. then the 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 experiences weren't good enough. I think. I think there's some kind of a machine that could work, some kind of a hybrid, or I don't know something. But it feels like for keyboards, and again, I understand that some people will disagree. But for keyboards, it feels like it's a, a, an extremely niche 
market. For games, we we were just talking about Amazon, uh, uh, about Twitch and and YouTube. There is a huge demand for core games, and the fact that mobile games are eating up the entirety of it, I think, is uh, uh, something that is going to be corrected at some point. But you have um, to look look at what we're calling a core game. You know, ten years ago, a core game would have been some sort of a PC real time strategy game, or, some, or maybe fifteen years ago. Um, you know, and that that our concept of a core game now is very much uh, a console game, which was kind of on the fringe of the outlier um, fifteen years ago. So, I think what we're looking at is the concept of what a core game is will be forever changed by mobile gaming, and uh, and that experience that we see on mobile games will simply drive the industry forward. And we will continue to complain about the golden ages of, uh, of console gaming, mm-hmm. while those who are slightly older than us will complain about the golden age of uh, PC gaming that uh, yeah. was uh, was already expired. I think it'll just continue to shift and evolve know. as the hardware changes. I mean, yeah, obviously, mobile gaming is going to influence everything because it's so big. But uh, there are still very strong. Uh, I mean, PC gaming is stronger than it's ever been. It's not gone away. Uh, console gaming is bigger, uh, but that doesn't mean that it's uh, you know one is more legitimate than the other. Um, there, there is. I think what I'm saying is, just as there is still a space for PC gaming that is still there and actually growing because of the growth of the gamers industry as a whole, I think there is a space for a portable gaming, dedicated gaming device. If there was no PlayStation Vita and no 3DS something would come up that would take that place. Now, they're sort of on the decline, both of them, and they're, we're looking at everything and saying, well, they're a smaller market than than the mobile games, but I still do think that there is a, 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 a space for that that needs to be occupied by something. So when they're completely out of the picture, something else will come and, and replace it. I, you know, I'm Standalone hoping. GPS devices still sells. So in a world where that could happen, I think you're absolutely <laughs> right, Patrick. There you go. That's true. Something that I think is a little bit more, let's say, optimistic is the statement that um, physical-based uh, games will never stop selling. Um, that was a state- statement uh, made by uh, GameStop chief executive, um, who basically said, um, it's his name is Paul Rains. He said, it's never going to go completely away. And my first reaction to that is, <laughs> he's an idiot. But at the same time, uh, you know, more than 10 years after iTunes, we still have a lot of uh, record stores. Well, not dedicated record stores, but we do have places that sell records. Yeah, uh, I have a dedicated so, record store down the street from me, actually. Do they sell vinyl? Yeah, that's it. Well, that's all they yeah. sell. So that's yeah, okay. That's that's even that's a specialty like niche kind of thing. I know it's been growing again, but I'm talking about CDs and you know, in the the spirit of will gotcha. you be, be able you to can still, still go to buy, a store and buy a CD? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I don't know which which uh, end of the spectrum do you guys fall on? Are we going to see disc based games forever, or are they actually at some point going to go away? I think he uh, perhaps has a somewhat vested interest in their continuing be, uh, right, to be CD right. games. Um, I don't think they'll be around forever, no. But then again, uh, if you'd asked me 15 years ago if I'd still be buying games on cartridge, uh, I would say absolutely not. Who's going to be still making cartridges in 2015? Uh, but I bought a cartridge-based video game today. Uh, so they're still out there. Uh, I think they'll last longer than we think they will, but... Um, long enough for this gentleman to retire from his job and take a lovely golden parachute <laughs> and to buy a lot of Ferraris. Uh, but ultimately, no, I don't think that uh, game-based, uh, disc-based games will be around uh, forever. 
Well, yeah, it, I guess it, yeah. saying it's, they'll be around forever. I mean, you can, you can parse it and be like, well, I, I, I mean, even used versions and people use old versions. And and yeah, <laughs> maybe somebody will come up with a, some kind of nostalgia play. We're like, oh, you still buy discs. It's so cool. Like I used to back in Grandpa Patrick and Tom's day. Uh, <laughs> but but I don't think that physical media for games is necessary at all anymore. Uh, backup. For games is what's necessary, and that doesn't require a disc. Uh, I've been thinking about this regarding movies. My contention with movies has been that while optical storage will not be necessary, people will still want to buy physical items like box sets because they just like to have stuff. But you don't need to have a DVD in there. You can have a USB drive. You can have physical storage take a more practical uh, method than a disc where you have to have a special player just for the disc. And I kind of feel like consoles may get to that point at some point where they're like, hey, we know you only got a you only got five terabytes of space on your Xbox for all your hollow games. So, you know, we give you this this backup drive to store your stuff or you can you can buy them on big backup drives or something like that. So in that way I think physical storage may last forever, but I don't think that discs necessarily will be the form factor it will continue to take. I guess, I mean, for PC, uh, they're basically uh, um, online digital games are uh, by far the large majority of the market. Uh, It's very rare to even see a PC section in your gaming store anymore there are some and i understand for collector's editions maybe but you're right tom it's more about getting the special package than it is about actually getting the game you're probably going to be getting a code and enter into in steam or origin or whatever and download the game anyway you're not going to be installing it through the disc and i guess the 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 key issue is the quality of the internet connection once we have Really, once we have a way of downloading a game in a few minutes, any type of game, there isn't a a lot of, it doesn't make a lot of sense for someone to, you know, what Bill Gates was talking about, print the thing and put it in a truck and deliver it and get the clerk to get it to you. And um, But again, we're still getting uh, CDs, but I guess that's a generation thing. It's some people just by the thing that they're familiar with. Um, what about streaming games, though? Um, there's GeForce Now, now, um, which is basically PlayStation Now before PC games by NVIDIA. It's an, and, and it has a subscription, eight bucks a month. Uh, it works, uh, among other things, on the Shield TV, uh, the Shield Android TV, which is uh, um, uh, Android TV device uh, with a lot of gaming capabilities and it streams from NVIDIA servers. Uh, it's basically the grid. Um, oh, I'm I'm having some sound on my computer now. Stop, please. Stop! Okay, Not sorry. Me, I promise. Sorry. Um, so yeah, basically uh, it's a subscription service. Eight bucks a month. You get games like, well... <laughs> I guess the game, that's the problem. You get, you're get you going to get, for example, some uh, Lego games, some Witcher games, uh, a bunch of cool ones like uh, Orcs Must Die and Batman. You get the first three, but you're not going to get the latest one, Arkham City. Well, also because it's been taken away from sales. Um in the in, in, in when it came out, it's going to come back in October. By the way, it's been confirmed. Sure, so. well. oh, they, now now I think they've taken their time. You know, trust um, us, we fix everything this time. Really, <laughs> it's not the game you want, Tim, but it's the game you deserve. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, 
eight bucks a month it's kind of it's cheaper than a spotify subscription maybe you're not going to get the latest games maybe it's you know one year old games is that of interest to either of you no uh but i think that's a personal thing i i when i say that i don't think it's not of interest to anyone uh i think some people who just want to have a lightweight gaming machine uh, who aren't always on the cutting edge. You look at this and you say, okay, 80, $96. That's two, two hot titles uh, or maybe four or five older titles. I'll play more than that. And, and, and that's, that's the idea with subscription services is I can play more games than I would be able to afford to buy even on steam sales. uh, And I can jump around and I don't have to feel bad about not finishing a game and the equipment outlay is less. I don't have to buy a, you know, expensive PC uh, and install it. I I can get some of that feel without having to spend it. So this, this is a bargain item. This is for somebody on a budget who wants to have a certain amount of stuff and doesn't need to have the latest and greatest of anything. And you know, I do think though that this is, this is what we're going to be seeing more of going forward. Um, less buying games, more licensing the right to play games, which, which ultimately will uh, help drive recurring revenue for businesses. It'll deal with the privacy or the, the piracy issue. Um, it'll fix a lot of things. Uh, and it'll, you know, I think that's the way the content is going in general. We certainly see the music industry go that way. I do think gaming will follow this route uh, where ultimately you might pay a publisher a given amount per month to play all their games, or maybe it's a platform to play all their games. Uh, I think we'll get there, but, um, but the idea right now of kind of a, a discount for, the the you know last generation games uh, i don't find that particularly compelling though I, I must say i do subscribe to playstation plus and to xbox live gold uh, and i do enjoy getting um games uh, for free there but it just tends to be the sort of game that i've missed for whatever reason or a game that i wouldn't have purchased but um it is worth my playing for a couple of hours anyway so I, I do enjoy that but not to the point where i would pay um pay for this service anyway well how is it different it's you know it's a little bit more expensive but uh I mean, uh, yeah, how, how is it different from PlayStation, except for the fact that you actually have to pay the PlayStation Plus and the Xbox Live Gold if you want to play online? Um, yeah, that's exactly it. Hmm. I was already paying for Xbox Live Gold, so suddenly this was this extra benefit that I got on top of it. Uh, you know, it's like you kind of have to pay these fees uh, to use your console the way they're intended to, which is sad. Um, <laughs> uh, and so I think having the games on top of it feels like a bit of a bonus, uh, at least for me, because I was you know on board already. Um, so I think that's what changes it for me. And also the idea that you quote unquote own this game, you can play it offline, you can do whatever you want to with it. Um, just like a normal, uh, normal game that you own is a little bit different, but you know, again, I think that that concept of ownership is, is going away in the not too distant future, uh, which I'm, I'm perfectly fine with so long as they start to then lump in the latest and greatest AAA titles and don't make it wait for them. I think in, in the short term or midterm, at least we could see, uh, NVIDIA getting into, potentially producing some games and you know putting a little bit of money in and we could see some kind of windowing like you the game comes out and then uh you know three months or six months later it can be available on our service and then it can go to the playstation plus and the xbox live gold uh you then know it's a available year down on the, the gear vr on your airplane exactly then. exactly it, it could happen yeah yeah. I mean, and, there's a, there's certainly a model for that already, right? And exactly. they could just take that model and use it. Yeah. Um, Deus Ex. I don't know if you guys have heard about this uh, horrendous pre-order 
campaign. Uh, we detailed it, I think, a month ago on the show. And I, I don't know why this one stuck uh, in everyone's mind, because it was apparently more or less, uh, there was a similar thing um, happening for previous games. But this one, where you would pre-order the game and get some of uh, a choice of pre-order bonuses, and then as the uh, pre-orders uh, piled up and more people pre-ordered the game, they would unlock more tiers of rewards with the ultimate tier being four days early for uh, the release of the games for the people who had pre-ordered. And of course, there were no numbers on the number of pre-orders needed to um, unlock the different tiers. So it was an obvious marketing ploy with no risk on, um, on Square Enix's part, except... Actually, they got such a bad uh, buzz out of it that they decided to cancel the pre-order program and everyone's going to have access to all of the tiers of the pre-order and uh, everyone who's going to get the day one edition is also going to get all of the the, uh, perks. So basically, you have no reason to pre-order the game anymore. You can just get the day one edition and wait for the reviews and then get the day one edition. You'll be fine. good on them right to to acknowledge the negative feedback and it's always you know it's not great to to go with your tail between your legs but at least they're they're reacting to the feedback i think that's that's positive and i made fun of them for the program but i'll acknowledge their um um uh courage in in retiring it yeah, anytime a company listens to the feedback of its audience and 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 adapts to it, I think that's good. The the downside is those people who did like the pre-program, which I understand is probably not that many, uh, now lost out. They're like, "Hey, wait a minute. Now now I don't get the advantage for pre-ordering that <laughs> well, I thought oh, yeah, I was going actually, to." Oh, yeah. Actually, actually they do. Everyone's going to get all of the tiers. No, uh, but they don't get the advantage. Right. Oh, the advantage the- <laughs> to pre-ordering was I get the stuff that other people don't, right? right and right, for right. some people now they've lost that ephemeral <laughs> advantage yeah i guess i guess if you were we could find a couple of people that are angry about it but um um hey have you guys ever played the stanley parable no i haven't no i'm not you have not oh my god stop everything you're doing right now and go play the stanley parable (laughs) Um, well, let's let's finish the show first. We're almost done. Um, but yeah, so the Stanley Parable is a game that was initially a mod for um, Half-Life 2. And it was extremely strange and extremely uh, unique. It's a um, game by uh, Davy Redden. Um, and basically, it puts you in the body of a clerk that presses a button. Um, it's a first-person, not shooter, but first-person per- narration. So you you type stuff on your keyboard, and when the stuff appears on the screen, and one time, one day, you're there, and the the, the instructions don't come. So you don't know what to do, and you have a narration, a narrator, which is brilliant, who tells, who says what happens in the game. So he says, um, Stanley was in the cubicle and he was typing stuff on his keyboard. And one day he didn't receive anyone on the screen. So he got up and got out of the room. And you are actually in the room and it's for you to decide whether or not you're going to get up and get out of the room or not. And then there's an incredibly interesting and playful you know, uh, relationship that develops between you and the narrator and your relationship, the relationship you have to the game. And 
what it means to be a game and what is a game and what isn't a game and how it uh, uh, games drive you to do certain things and whether or not you you have the choice in doing those things and it is impossible to explain. I hope I've at least intrigued you, um, but it is an amazing experience. Uh, I don't know how much it costs on Steam right now. It later came out as a standalone game. I love the mod. I love the game. I think you should, if you are a, a gamer that enjoys games as as a, an art form, you should absolutely go play that game right now. Uh, it's called The Stanley Parable. And uh, so parable is, for my French listeners, uh, parabole in English. Um, and so the developer for oh, that easy. amazing game is ha has just put out uh, The Beginner's Guide, which is a new game. It's sort of a interactive experience that I don't really want to spoil, um, but it's about an hour and a half. It's less than 10 bucks. And again, it's this wonderful reflection of what it means to be a game and to create a game and to be a game designer and to be a gamer within that context. And it's, again, impossible to explain without spoiling it a lot. So I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm about halfway through uh, The Beginner's Guide. And again, it is a game of the game of a true uh, artist, of an of a, someone that shows us what games can be. You know, all of those experiences that we thought we were going to get with games that are more than just games, but are that are truly uh, pieces of art. And at the same time, they're still very much um, anchored in the world of gaming. So. I, I anyway, I just wanted to mention it because it's a, a, the Stanley Parable. Just go play it now, and if you like it, pick up the Beginner's Guide. I think you'll enjoy it too. But the, um, they're not sequels; they're independent of each other. Just the same creator. Yeah, completely independent. They're they're kind okay. of in the same spirit a little bit, but uh, yeah, they're completely independent. So got it. Uh, Nintendo delays Star Fox to 2016 and leave this, leaves the slate for 2015 completely blank for the Wii U. And I know some people are angry at me for saying that I don't know where the Wii U is going now and it's difficult to recommend anymore. There are a bunch of good games, but the future of the Wii U seems, to say the least, uncertain. Um, well, it's good. I, that I think we all know where the Wii U is gaming. It's just whether or not we want it said publicly and loudly or not as a nintendo fan uh, i feel like i can say that yeah no i agree mine is not currently plugged in i'll just say have you played super mario 3d world no have you yes, played absolutely. mario kart yes okay um yes, have you played mario maker no i haven't either ah People, I mean, if you have a, a Wii U already, you owe it to yourself to pick up Super Mario 3D World, at least because, again, we're talking about game design and mastery of game design. It is so amazing from that point of view. Um, and if, you're, if you love Nintendo games, yes, of course, pick up a Wii U. But that's basically the only reason. And, and looking forward, there are a few niche games, but Star Fox is delayed and it doesn't look great. Hopefully the gameplay will be good. And Nintendo, uh, the Zelda, I still think might be a dual uh, Wii U slash uh, NX release. So yeah, Wii U, yeah. they're moving on and as they should because they've only sold 10 million of those in three years, so... Could be a 3DS release too, like Smash Brothers was. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they pull that. For for Zelda? 
for the new Zelda. Yeah, I mean that's that's no. their big ticket console right now. Yeah, but I, I think the, I think the 3DS is on the way out as well. Um, I think the NX is going to replace everything, and and you know it's an open world thing. I don't see how it would work on the 3DS technologically. It's so uh, old now, but um, it is old. Mm. But it's got uh, those extra bits in the processor there, which do virtually nothing apparently. But, uh, they're <laughs> new. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, the new one, the new one. But you know, the new one, the new one was just to get money in the bank uh, uh, to hold them off until the NX. I, I really feel sure. the new 3DS was uh, uh, just an excuse to sell more devices. Um, but they got my money in their bank. Yeah. Sorry to say, Need for Speed Beta was this weekend, and I played it. And so for those who don't remember, Need for Speed, uh, the, the reboot, is this uh, title where you have gameplay elements and some live action footage uh, filmed with uh, actual actors. Um, and I can't decide if it's super tacky or just tacky enough that it works in the sense that Fast and the Furious <laughs> works. Um it's it's not bad, honestly. I can't say it's bad, but it's Fast and the Furious type thing, and they they play on that so much. And uh, but it's kind of well, cute. I think it's- Fast and the Furious is pretty bad, but it, it that works at times too. So um, there's there's the right formula in there where you can make something bad that kind of works. Uh, I haven't played this myself yet, but now you've got me intrigued. Yeah, it's. I mean, but the thing is, you're right. Fast and Furious is bad, but it's it's good enough that it works. And the the limit, the frontier between just bad and bad but good is so thin that I'm not sure which side of it uh, Need for Speed is is landing on. So, but you know, it's well acted. It's it's reasonably well acted. The characters are kind of fun. And again, if you want Fast and the Furious, the game, this is probably where you're, you're going to go. Obviously, it's not the same characters, but... Um, um, what else? What else? Uh, Battlefront beta is starting in uh, just a few days on October 8th, and it's open to everyone. So surely everyone is going to be playing it. Uh, who's excited for Battlefront? Wow. No reaction. I'll give it a try. I'm going to wait for the... I, I'm not... I don't have time for betas these days, I'm sorry to say. I kind of got to wait yeah, for I think that's to get all polished and ready to I've, I've heard some good things about Battlefront, and I'm hugely excited about Star Wars right now, but... Uh, yeah, maybe not the beta. Yeah, maybe not. I can understand. Speaking um, of Star Wars, there are some amazingly cool um, Star Wars toys here in Japan. The stores are just absolutely flooded with them. Not to make everybody jealous or anything, but uh, <laughs> a man could lose a lot of money in uh, in town right now if he wanted to. Let's, I'll leave it there. <laughs> you're, you're just talking about a theoretical person in in Tokyo, right? No, truly no hypothetical person. situation. A, right. a theoretical man who may or may not be me, uh, who may or may not be carrying my credit cards around, may be in trouble this week. He's speaking we'll like Jacqueline Hogar from Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> a man uh, should buy toys. <laughs> Um, a man could buy twice there's Margolis to your wallet Tim (laughs) (laughs) Margolis there's a potential strike happening with the voice actors uh, in video games and I'm not sure which side of that I fall on either it's kind of like the need for speed thing Uh, basically voice actors are saying that they are an integral part of games and that uh, they should be compensated in the way that actors who are an important part of a, a 
you know, cinematic production usually are, which means a percentage of earnings for the company. And the reaction to that is uh, basically the developers saying, hey, you know what? We are spending a lot more time than you guys on those games. So if anyone should see some of that cash, it would be us, not you. Um, there are other concerns for voice actors uh, as well. But I, I, I don't know how, what to think of this. Please enlighten me. Should well, I? That's because you're, not, not? you're not a billionaire owner of a game company, uh, Patrick. If you were, <laughs> you would be laughing and uh, you know, lighting your cigar with a million-dollar bill as, as your employees fight with each other over the scraps that you leave them. Uh, okay, yeah, I guess that wow. that would. But since I'm not, I still don't know what to think, Tom. <laughs> no, I mean, in all honesty, what's going on here is is the coll- collision of two cultures. For a long time, voice acting in games wasn't a, a a big deal. Actors, like legitimate actors, didn't want to do that. Right? It paid low. It paid uh, work for hire, just like developers. And and so it was not the kind of thing that was in the same culture as acting or voice acting even for cartoons or anything like that. Now, video games want stars. They want, you know, they want better voices. Uh, and we've gotten used to that. And we, we prioritize the voices in our reviews. And so now the traditional way of doing any kind of acting is, hey, we we get residuals, we get contracts, and those things should be negotiated. And that's, I think, what the voice actors are saying, whereas the developers are like, hey, nowhere ever has a developer gotten royalties, you know, and you, the voice actors for games have grown up in the same world we grew up in. How come you get royalties and we don't? And, and you know, the reason I was joking around about fat cats lighting, lighting their cigars with money is because really both of them are saying we're not getting paid enough. And that, and that is an issue to be taken up with the management, right? I mean, and you've just got different historical ways of approaching it. That's all. I mean, in in movies, traditionally, actors are, uh, uh, you know, being paid residuals. And you have, I mean, I've worked in the movie industry in France and you have, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know the names of those jobs in, in English, but uh, the people who work on the staff, uh, on staff on the movie, who work a lot as well, and sometimes a lot longer than the, the stars. I guess the reason why the the voice act the, the actors on movies do get those kinds of deals is because their name is an enormous portion of what sells the movie um well and I that's the kind of thing that's been worked out over time if you edit a movie your expectations for compensation are different than an actor whereas right. the developers in video games are saying no our expectations is all have always been that everybody gets paid in the same manner so it's whenever you have a change like that people resist that change if they're not associated with it and and i get the developers to me are are very similar to directors and editors some of whom do get residuals and royalties it's always negotiated on an individual basis though i guess so um you don't have staff put it this way most studios don't have a staff of people who work on all the movies video game companies do Right, right. I guess that's that's true. Um, but in the case of video games, I, I'm not going to go buy a game specifically for one voice actor. I, I'll certainly be more interested if if Troy Baker or or Nolan North is going to be you know voicing one of the characters. I'll I'll get my interest peaked. So, but it's a couple of names, very rare. Um, and it, it's not going to be the thing that tells me, oh, I'll go check it out. But Whereas, it's getting there. 
Right. It's not the Maybe, same as movies, yeah. but it's getting closer. Mm. Uh, more so than in the past where you didn't even know who the voice actors were. I guess so. And even if you're not buying that game just because of a name, uh, you may buy that game based on the, the quality of the review of that game and definitely the, the, the score of that game. Ultimately, uh, the positive or negative nature of that review of that game has a lot to do with how good the voice acting is. So even if the names aren't bringing you there, uh, their, their product, their hard work, uh, definitely is. And yeah, I think they definitely deserve a piece of the pie. The problem is uh, the net result is going to be publishers again saying, oh, well, these guys want more money, so therefore we need to jack up game prices, which is what well, it seems to be is always the answer. So I don't know, because they might they have about the same level of um, influence on those things as star developers do. I mean, in the case, well, maybe I'm going to mention Kojima, but I'm sure damn hope he's getting a piece of the pie uh, because his name is the game, basically. Um, but there are a few of those, you know, Miyamoto, Kojima, a few people at Blizzard, although Blizzard is usually uh, the one company that that says this is designed by the company as a whole. But you have people like Carmack and you have a few developers that are that have that kind of attraction to the same level of what the voice actors can do today. But I guess none of them are key to a, a purchase decision in the way that a uh, an actor's an actor's name or a director's name might might make you think, all right, I'm going to go see it because it's that person. Um, yeah, I feel like those big name directors you mentioned or big name producers of video games that you mentioned are similar to director's names. Mm. You go, you want a Miyamoto game the same way you want to see a Spielberg film or maybe you don't want to, to see a Spielberg film. <laughs> well, to an extent, I think it's also a problem of the price of the games. They're so much more expensive that you're probably going to wait for a review in, 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 you yeah. know, in most cases, whereas a 10 bucks entry ticket for a theater, you know, for a movie, you might think, well, whatever, worst case scenario, I lost 10 bucks and two hours of my life. Uh, when it's a $60 game, it's a different proposition. So, uh, yeah, so we don't have an answer there, but uh, we'll keep an eye on it. And last story, um, you know how, so this is not funny, this is so not funny, but at the same time it kind of, kind of is, um, you know how sometimes in Minecraft you're building something and you want to have a little fireplace somewhere, and if you don't construct it properly, the fire might spread to the entire house. Uh, that happens sometimes, and sometimes people spend hours and hours and days constructing giant structures, uh, and they end up lighting the fireplace and the fi or you know a torch that they put somewhere, and the fire spreads to the entire thing and it burns down. And you see them streaming th this these things live and panicking and saying, "Oh my God, no!" And they try to get the water and bring uh, you know. Uh, uh, douse off the fire and usually the funny thing is when it doesn't work and they actually burn their whole thing down and their reaction on screen is hilarious well uh, a japanese streamer actually did that with his actual house uh okay it's not the entire house it was his room uh there was uh some damage uh, uh you know the room basically was completely burned there was some extra damage and him and his family were somewhat hurt. Uh, I mean, he is 40 years old and uh, he had his parents and grandmother in there who were hurt a little bit as well. I, I really don't think they were uh, seriously hurt. Uh, if I did, I wouldn't be making light of this matter. But um, 
yeah, so you, you can go check out the video. It's making the rounds now. And the guy is using a lighter and um, he he is using a, uh, what's the name of that thing? Um, an oil uh, match lighter? Is that what Yeah, you- exactly. An oil match lighter that he didn't know how to use. And he actually starts uh, trying to light it and the fire spreads and he tries to, to put it out. And you still see the camera rolling for a good five minutes afterwards. And... Am I a bad person for thinking this is kind of funny and tragic? Yes, you are. I I I was horrified watching that. Actually, I mean, his reactions were pretty much the worst thing you could possibly do, which is unfortunate to see. But man, that was uh, that was kind of scary to watch for me. Yeah, he I, act- yeah. I mean, this is terrifying. And and he had a seventy three year old mother and a sixty eight year old father, sixty two year old relative. Like, just the idea that he's playing around with fire is horrible. They absolutely don't do that. On the other hand, Patrick, (laughs) like all of that aside, like if everyone's okay and nothing had happened and maybe the second floor of this building doesn't burn down, I get where you're coming from on the humor of the situation. He's a Minecraft streamer. He's a Minecraft streamer. And the thing that happens in Minecraft... It's yeah, but it it is terrible. Anyway, I just wanted to. If a creeper showed up, he would have been really well protected. The what? Sorry. I bet if a creeper showed up, he would have been really well protected. (laughs) (laughs) And don't play with fire, kids. No, do not. But I mean, he he said he didn't know what he was doing. But the thing is, the fire starts spreading, and what he does is he basically puts more cardboard boxes on top of the fire. It's anyway. It is both frightening and. The irony of the Minecraft thing happening in real life to a Minecraft streamer. Yeah. All right. Uh, Anyway, thank you so much for being on the show, guys. Uh, This is going to uh, bring the show to a close. Um, Tim, thanks for staying late. Uh, Tom, thanks for waking up early. Uh, (laughs) No problem. Can you tell people where they can find you on the Internet when uh, you are doing the things that you usually do? Maybe start with Tom. Uh, sure. TomMerritt.com uh, collects everything I do together. But if you would like a little tech news uh, with a similar flavor to what you're getting here with video games, check out Daily Tech News Show, DailyTechNewsShow.com. In fact, you can get almost exactly the same flavor because Patrick's on the show on Tuesdays. Except I'm not this week. I'm going to be on Friday. But right. Because we're doing a little special sum-sum. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tim, what about you? Uh, you can find most of my work uh, at CNET.com. This week I'm uh, reporting from Tokyo on all the happenings uh, at the CTEC Consumer Electronics Show uh, here. Uh, I'm Tim underscore Stevens on Twitter, and uh, I believe uh, you'll be able to find me on a certain uh, show featuring certain Tom Merritt uh, in roughly one week's time as well. So, um, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> look forward to that. What a happy right. Monday, family. Monday, October 12th. Great. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show. I am not Patrick on both Twitter and Facebook. You can find me there. You can also find this show and come comment on Frenchspin.com. You'll find another show over there called The Felix Club, uh, which also spans the globe uh, every month, roughly, although I might have a special episode out earlier this month. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, guys. We will talk to you again in a week with another show. Bye.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 